You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, I'm Dhamini and I'm the host of Gender Question. In this season, I'll be getting up close and personal on issues that really matter. Our gender and sexuality that are so central to who we are. On February 17, the additional Chief Metropolitan Magistrate of the Delhi District Court in Rouse Avenue delivered a verdict that would have far-reaching consequences for women in the country and for the Me Too movement. The judge, Ravinder Pandey, was the third judge to have heard the case of M.J. Akbar versus Priya Ramani. after his predecessors samar vishal and vishal pahuja were transferred as part of routine transfer of delhi district court judges to their credit the case did not get interrupted at all and both lawyers geeta luthra and rebecca john who represented akbar and ramani respectively could pick up from where they had previously left off before i go on i must point out that i had worked with priya some years ago when she was my editor in mint lounge that was the weekend edition of the mint thus although i'm not a court reporter when akbar filed a defamation suit against ramani on october 17 2018 this was a case that i had to follow the me too movement was an exhilarating but also very confusing time for a lot of us we were made to confront our silences the things that we let pass and the, the ways in which we ourselves participate i learned to knew the ways in which gender and caste are inextricably linked and my own blind spots as an upper caste woman when it came to accusations against men from underprivileged castes i spoke to queer feminists who pointed out that the heteronormative morality did not allow for an understanding of maybe in consent and i already knew how naming and shaming was a method often employed for non-normative genders and sexualities so yes the me too movement needed to be passed and understood and the case was a tangible starting point over the course of this episode we'll look at the case and what it holds out for women's testimonies what was very clear then as now was that this case needed to be tracked because there was a possibility that a woman could go to jail for a tweet and an article had the judge agreed with the complainant that both were defamatory under section 500 of the indian penal code the way that i saw it the questions that i have sought to raise through the course of gender question were also being brought up by this case questions such as what do we criminalize in society not just through law i mean but you know socially and culturally what do we hold up as deserving of punishment who constitutes the unapprehended felon to borrow a famous phrase of justice ap shah who had delivered that path breaking nas judgment from the delhi high court in 2009 that decriminalized consensual adult same sex relationships so put differently what is the punishment for not following the norm and who is the one that usually gets punished i feel amazing I feel vindicated 
it feels amazing to have your truth validated in a court of law. Um, it just, it just feels, uh, it just, yeah, feels amazing. <laughs> what did you think of the judgment? Because he didn't make it just about you; he made it about women and their truth statements. And, and this, this battle has been about women. It hasn't been about me. I just happened to represent all the women who spoke up, the women who spoke up before me and the women who spoke up after me. Yeah. So I thought it was a very apt judgment. Standing outside the courtroom, that was Priya Ramani delivering her first quote to the press on February 17. We had all gathered around her and held out our phones. MJ Akbar, who was also present in the courtroom, left almost immediately after the judgment was pronounced. A request to speak to him before the judgment was delivered, as we all waited outside the courtroom, was turned down. On Persuel and on the joint reading of document Exhibit CW1 by 8 and Exhibit CW1 by 9, the court is of considered view that its contents are defamatory in nature, hence the defense of the accused regarding publication of only particular portion QAA, the component in document Exhibit CW1 by 9 and remaining portion with respect to other mill bosses is rejected. So, what exactly was the case? And why was it so important to the Me Too movement? On October 8, 2018, Priya Romani put out a tweet. Now, the Me Too movement had begun to gain ground in Indian Twitter after actress Tanushree Datta had accused Nana Patekar of sexual harassment during a film shoot uh, a decade ago. Now, a similar wave of testimonies had actually emerged a whole year before, when in 2017, a PhD student, Raya Sarkar, circulated a crowdsourced list of names of professors and academics accused of harassing students. This led to a rift among many feminists. Sarkar, a Dalit woman, circulated a list which protected the identities of complainants and outed the professors, many of whom were upper-caste men. Several feminists believed that the list could not be allowed to circulate as it did not do anything to validate the claims of the students who were making these accusations. They argued that, you know, they, that is the older feminists, had fought long and hard to institute systems and due process, like the Vishaka Guidelines and the Posh Act, and such a list weakened the fight for justice. The Posh Act, of course, as you know, is the prevention of sexual harassment at the workplace law. However, list supporters, many of whom were younger feminists, and many also part of the anti-caste movement, felt that these arguments were not only anti-women, but also casteist, because they didn't take into account the sheer powerlessness that drove so many accusers to anonymity. When list supporters called for people to believe women when they spoke about their experiences of harassment, other feminists argued that it was unfair to place such a burden of truth-telling on women. This wasn't to say that the women making the accusations were lying, but that women could lie. And, well, why shouldn't they? Not everyone agreed. Suparna Sharma, a journalist with the Asian Age, was one of the Twitter users who began collecting testimonies of women when the second wave of Me Too broke out in 2018. This is what she said to me outside the courtroom after the verdict had been pronounced. 
the typical obvious patriarchal pushback to anything if you go through the judgment he said that reputation cannot be a defense against another person's truth right which 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 means it's equating the a woman's truth uh, equal to uh, a man's reputation and that that in my opinion is really really important right so back to the history meanwhile after the second wave of me too had begun this was in 2018 we know that in the united states hollywood producer harvey weinstein had also been accused of sexual harassment by several leading actresses and then of course even the uh, american president at the time donald trump had been accused in the me too movement in 2017 priya ramani wrote an article titled to the harvey weinsteins of the world in which she spoke about an incident that she had undergone as a rookie appearing for an interview back in december 1993 she didn't name the editor who had behaved inappropriately with her during that interview which she had conducted in his hotel room she did however name him a year later on twitter now mj akbar filed a complaint against priya ramani stating that her words were salacious malicious and fabricated and that it had caused a great deal of humiliation to him and his reputation what's more his reputation had been severely tarnished in the eyes of the public in the eyes of his family colleagues and the political fraternity this is what he mentioned in his complaint akbar at the, that particular time he was the minister of state at the ministry of external affairs and he resigned he also during the course of this case produced different character witnesses including many people who had worked with him and had known him for a very very long time and who could who told the judge that you know akbar was somebody of impeccable standing and uh, you know was somebody who was a very well known editor a very well known author and uh, so in that sense were able to provide character witnesses to akbar his lawyer geeta lutra also argued that such statements such as what priya ramani had made in uh, twitter should not be allowed because it was irresponsible and lives were at stake and quite frankly so many years had passed so why why raise that issue now but ramani's defense was that she spoke her truth by disclosing the conduct of akbar in the hotel room in 1993 during what was supposed to be an interview Ramani said that she had raised this issue in good faith and for public good. This was the sort of sexual harassment that women in the workplace faced. Rebecca John, Ramani's lawyer, said that this defense that they put up was ultimately very powerful. Tell me about the verdict. Is this something that you were expecting? What did you feel about the verdict? We don't that expect any verdict. <laughs> we only expect that uh, that the uh, that the contentions raised during trial are properly re- recorded and appreciated by a court. I'm very grateful that this court has done it. Priya Ramani had taken a robust defense, and that was that whatever she wrote was her truth, made in public interest, in public good. These are the exceptions to defamation, which is statutorily provided, and therefore the court has said, minus those exceptions, if she hadn't pleaded that, it may have been defamatory. But on account of the fact that she has pleaded those exceptions, come to the witness stand, spoke, uh, uh, given her statement on oath. 
coupled with the statement of Azala Ghazala uh, Wahab and Nilofa Venkataraman, he uh, the court has accepted that because the exception stand proved on the test of preponderance probability, this is not a case of defamation. But the more important thing is, I mean, I say that as a lawyer, I also believe that while women may resort to legal redresses, it is not obligatory on her. Because our system being what it is, you can't compel a woman to file an FIR, you can't compel a woman to go through the legal processes. There may be exceptional circumstances where she doesn't want to use those platforms. Right. So I think in all that sense, all of those uh, reasons, this judgment has validated uh, the stand taken by us, the stand taken by multiple women during the Me Too movement. Right. And to that extent, it's a great, it's a great day for, for women. On February 17, more than two years after the district court began to hear the case, the judgment was finally pronounced. It cannot be ignored that most of the time the offence of sexual harassment and sexual abuse committed in the closed doors or privately. Sometimes the victims herself doesn't understand what is happening to them or what is happening to them is wrong. Despite how well some persons are in the society, they in their personal lives could show extreme priority to the females. The court takes consideration of the systematic abuse at the workplace. ADMM Ravindra Pandey's judgment spoke about women's testimonies and the importance of believing them, apart from taking note of the harassment that women face in several spaces, including the workplace. What struck me most about the judgment was that it clearly said that women can speak about the sexual harassment and the abuse that they experience on any platform. They do not need to take recourse to the law and also Importantly, there is no cut-off date following which they cannot speak about their own experiences. The right of reputation can't be protected at the cost of right to life and dignity, guaranteed to all women in the constitution. The woman has a right to put her grievance at any platform of her choice and even after decades, the judge said. A few weeks after the judgment came out, we caught up with Rebecca John again to ask her about the judgment's implications. She reminded us that the district court is a lower court and not a constitutional court and therefore the judgment cannot be used as a precedent as judgments of constitutional courts can. I think it's an oversimplistic understanding of the judgment if you believe that the judgment uh, allows women to uh, to uh, speak out at any stage uh, at any point in time uh, and and says that if you use uh, platforms other than the legal platforms it doesn't necessarily mean we are going to condemn you that may be an oversimplistic understanding of the judgment you have to understand that every judgment in a criminal case is given in the facts and circumstances of that case this is also not to suggest that in another given case a woman will be necessarily disbelieved. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. But I'm, what I'm trying to say is that the, the, the observations made by the court about the timing of the disclosures and the late, late uh, uh, reporting of the disclosures on social media platforms, he decided that it was, it was, it was justified in the facts and circumstances of the case. And that's because we led evidence to that effect. Uh, so, um, I would not say that it gives anyone blanket permission. At the same time, 
it it doesn't disallow you from uh, from uh, from or it doesn't prohibit you from making these disclosures if we could look at this judgment from the point of view of the assault women faced after the me too movement where criminal defamation cases were filed against them i think the biggest takeaway of this judgment is that you think twice before doing that because any other woman could do precisely what priya ramani did in this trial and it would make the man look pretty stupid at the end of it uh so i think the biggest takeaway of this judgment is that think before you file defamation suits particularly with respect to women complaining against sexual harassment in the workplace but having said that the court had the opportunity to marshal evidence led by both sides and it was at the end of it at the end of that marshaling the court decided that there was more power there was truth to what the defense was saying and that the offense of defamation was not complete particularly since she pleaded a statutory exception and proved that statutory exception the biggest take away from this case then as far as i was concerned was the simple clarity that the judgment offered and which helped i'm sure a lot of us pass some bits of the me too movement 3 years on rather than start with the assumption that the accusation could be a lie and the accuser a liar the judge ravinder pande asked us instead to assume differently thank you for listening in this is your host thamini signing off you can reach me on twitter at thamini or on hd smartcast on facebook twitter and instagram to listen to more podcasts log on to www.hdsmartcast.com this was a hindustan times production brought to you by hd smartcast hd smartcast